0: everyone, and welcome to Hype A, a podcast amplifying voices in the arts around the world, making the arts accessible for all people. We will be hearing guests from the film, art, music industries, and more, sharing their stories, failures, and successes. We will be listening in on their new endeavors, projects, and take notes on their tips and tricks, how they broke into the industry, hear their words of wisdom, Over the years, I've met some amazing people who have really enriched my life and my art practice, and I'm so grateful to have met them around the world. I hope to share with you my personal experiences, but mainly support you by introducing you to inspirational leaders in their creative field. If you're looking to fulfil a dream in the arts, need that extra motivation, or simply be inspired, you've come to the right place. So get access, get tuned in and turned on every Thursday. Welcome to Hype A. Hello everyone and welcome back to Hype A. I hope you're loving Hype A so far. Uh, Make sure to rate us on Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts so others can see us and help bump up those algorithms so more ears can listen to Hype A across the globe. We really do appreciate the support and your feedback. We are also on Instagram as Hype A Voices and look forward to your suggestions and if you'd like to sponsor us you know where to find us and if you'd like to produce ads as well. Please do let us know. Before we begin, maybe you'd like to pause the recording if you like, grab a cup of tea, glass of water, or maybe something stronger if you fancy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so you ready? In this episode, we have Chris J. Rice. You may have heard her giggling in the background there. A writer and a visual artist based in Los Angeles, California, USA. Chris has Cherokee roots, She says, I did not grow up on the res land or associated with the tribe, which my grandmother left behind when she married my grandfather. A lot of my writing is about that family dislocation from roots. It affected my mother and that in time affected her children, not knowing where we belong. Rice has two master's degrees, one in fine arts from California Institute of the Arts and one in library and information science from San Jose University. She lives with her husband Greg and her dog Beckett. Uh, her official bio is Chris J Rice is a writer and visual artist who grew up on the road taking care of younger siblings in the cramped backseat of a Rambler American sedan ricocheted between Joplin, Missouri, the buckle on the Bible Belt and Southern California, the land of reinvention. Chris currently lives in Los Angeles. She earned an MFA from the California Institute of the Arts and in MLIS from San Jose State University, which I mentioned previously. Roxanne Gay selected her short story, The Lid, for inclusion in Wigleaf's top 50, very short, fiction 2015. Pithead Chapel nominated an excerpt from her hybrid memoir for a Pushcart Prize. Her essay, All the Pieces Came Together was a runner-up in a 2016 Hunger Mountain Creative Nonfiction Prize. Her friend, Annie Sertich, has this to say about Chris's writing. It's crisp, specific, and it makes me cry. It haunts me without trying. She's badass, authentic, and gentle. Her writing mimics no one. Chris's works are published online, uh, there are links there where you can find via her ChrisJRice.net website. Uh, the links being her writings, nonfiction being Child Protection, another writing, Decades After Foster Care, I Found My Long Lost Brother, another one, Too Much Hope, and Where She Came From, and many others which you can find on ChrisJRice.net. So let's welcome Chris J Rice to episode two. Hello, Chris, and how are you doing today?
1: Hello, Kristalina. It's so good to see you and talk to you, and I'm doing really well today. Thank you Fantastic. for asking, and thank you for having me. This is exciting to get to talk to you. I miss you.
0: I miss you too. <laughs> it's been so long. We it's just keep so missing long. each other. <laughs> yeah. It's been so long and, you know, I've tried to come over to LA and then things got in the way. And then, of course, the lockdown and, um, you know, things just happened. But I just would like to say that I met Chris, uh, we met at a vintage shop that I was working in on Venice Boulevard um, three days a week, <laughs> wasn't it? Um yeah. And I think we spoke about art and art history and at one point you touched on a nerve as you looked straight through my soul, almost knowing that I wasn't meant to be in the vintage shop helping out (laughs) (laughs) but out there in the world rather, doing more art and studying and I started to well up. I don't know if you remember that, I started to tear up.
1: I very much remember that. Yes, I knew I was talking to to somebody who was not. This was not their end game.
0: Exactly, and I saw so well up, and I was talking about. um, I think we were talking about the MA, MFA, and talking about possibly my dream of doing a MFA, Master's in Fine Art degree. I originally wanted to do that at CalArts, but left it alone as a dream and just put it aside and left it as a far off idea that may or may not happen. And honestly, I didn't think I'd actually end up doing it. Um, And I ended up getting sacked from that place, I think, or leaving. I can't remember uh, because I think the universe had something better, had better plans for me. And time was up for me there. And I was rerouted back onto my star aligning trajectory. So I'd like to thank you for um, being part of that catalyst. And I, honestly, I don't know if I would have gone ahead and, to do my MFA if I hadn't had that very poignant conversation with you at that vintage shop in Veniceville Aparte. Isn't
1: that funny how <laughs> small pieces, small things like that, small conf- conversations can just, for me, if, if we're talking to a person who will see us, and who's willing to see us they can be uh, a a point of departure for our lives taking them in another direction that's happened to me so many times because of someone recognizing me and yeah. you know because that
0: doesn't happen every day does it no it doesn't and it doesn't happen very often in los angeles uh, <laughs> with, my, <laughs> with my experience loving having live there you know and being based there for four years it's like the conversations that I was having there were kind of really superficial and they weren't deep or they weren't the conversations that I wanted to have like one would have in New York possibly or you know in London even um let's say in my snobby way the literati academia world and I found wanting, I was found that I was really missing pure depth when I was there. And you came in to just kind of go without, in maybe even that intention to just go, okay, we need to shake this chick up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> she's got, she's got brains, you know, what's she doing here in this shop? <laughs> So, uh,
1: yes, I've been there many times in my own life. Yes. And so it was wonderful to meet you, to see somebody who cared and it was obvious cared so deeply for the creative act, for art yeah. making and and living a life of art making and mm-hmm. I I love that about you.
0: Thank you. And I uh I really appreciate you so much, Chris. And um, you've been so supportive of me as well. You've collected artwork from me as well. You bought my art as well. And again, I was going through a funny time period. I think at that time I was signed to a gallery in Beverly Hills and then they dropped me after like four months. And I had all of these paintings I didn't know what to do with. (laughs) And um, I had to then pick them up and like just store them all in my bedroom. (laughs) And, And you were like, I really like this painting I really like this one and you came over with Greg and just you know put it in the back of the car and I was like wow this is this is a really cool woman (laughs) like she's so (laughs) amazing supportive of you know my my passion and um, yeah and as I said you know I guess the rest is history I guess I came back to London and then did my MFA and and now we're having a conversation on a podcast that I started back in May which is <laughs> it's
1: um, wonderful.
0: And, but as I mentioned, thank you. But as I mentioned before, you know, I was, I was meaning to come over and I had to change and rebook, and I was going to stay with you as well back like in LA. Um, and then lockdown happened. And during the lockdown, you wrote some wonderful, beautiful writing. Uh, I must say, very poignant, um, short, but maybe not so sweet at times um would you be open to reading one of your excerpts from the lockdown to the high pay listeners
1: yes i would i would totally and i wanted to say too that the the most current piece i have is up on joyland magazine it's called she elegies and so some of these short pieces they were really the beginning of a longer work which that is and this one that i'm reading is um Uh, meant to be a part of it and will. Um, Amazing. I'll read it now. Funny memes and clever games, raucous songs of blistering rebuke, viral statistics and our five-year-old granddaughter's drawing of a colorful unicorn, her favorite animal, an animal which doesn't even exist. Her drawing and caption come to us via a digital highway. This is the way our roads are traveled now. Quote, the composition of each epic depends upon the way the frequented roads are frequented, wrote the remarkable Gertrude Stein. People remain the same. The way the roads are frequented is what changes from one century to another. And it is that that makes the composition that is before the eyes of every one of that generation. And it is that that makes the composition that a creator creates. End of quote. That is a road metaphor that I can get behind, especially as I do what I can day by day, waking up from a fitful night, drinking coffee with my love, writing some after I read digital newspapers, texting my loved ones, cooking our food, and then sobbing for a few minutes. Then I get back to work on Driven, a memoir of aging out of childhood abuse, foster care, the last century and a lifetime. Whether or not the book will ever be published, I do not know and right now I do not care. Still I work as we have always done for millions of years before the wheel was even invented when art was nothing other than a handprint on a cave wall.
0: Wow, I mean, I don't know about you, high pay listeners, but I've got chills all down my back. Um, it's so—it's such a sort of capture, photographic capture of that time during the lockdown, isn't it? And how I think so many creators were think, thinking and feeling as well, and um, and also just the creative process where whatever happens, even if the world locks down, shuts down.
1: We yes. continue to
0: create. We continue, don't we? We the yes.
1: yes. And for me, that process became more concentrated and more focused than it ever had been before, probably because I was left alone more to my own thoughts and my own thinking. And so there was more self-acceptance and less uh, censoring.
0: Yes. It's almost what I'm hearing is it's almost like you became even more yourself, more authentically yourself. Is that correct?
1: On the page. Yes. Well, not even on the page, on the page, of course, because mm-hmm. when we accept ourselves more and become more accepting of ourselves um, and more authentic as a consequence, so many things changed. I remember being at home day after day and dressing in a certain kind of way and suddenly realizing, you know what? I think I'm going to wear whatever I want to wear every day. And suddenly I'd be walking the dog in like satin pants and a suede coat with a mouton collar or i i would wear the dresses that i thought were the fancy things that i was saving for another day so the consciousness was so Mm -hmm. much with me the of the the next day you are saving everything for is today Mm, like yeah it's now do it now if there's something that you need to do or say or be do it now and so I started doing that in my everyday life just in walking the I remember a neighborhood a woman in the neighborhood another writer said Chris you're so dressed up and I said I know I've decided <laughs> that I'm going to just wear whatever I want to wear I'm not saving anything for later and that's when I went through a 40 day period where I started writing these kinds of short bursts every morning, the
0: minute I woke up. Amazing. So were they like morning papers to you or just sort of meditations or just affirmations or they just were what they were as it were, without even any kind of spiritual sort of lingo uh, associated with that?
1: Oh, well, there was like a the linger associated. Um, I called them phone poems. And so what I did was the, my phone or my iPad would be right by the bed. I would, you know, my husband would bring me a cup of coffee. That was wonderful. But I woke up in that liminal state, as we mm. do, of still being somewhat in this dream space And also the remembrance or thinking of being awake in the day. And in that space, I wrote down exactly what occurred to me. Mm -hmm. And I did that every morning uh, for about 20 days and realized, oh, my goodness, this is closer to what you need to be excavating. And so I said, I'm going to do it for so many more days. And I did it for 40 days straight. And that was really the beginning of a shift in focus for my own work, my own writing. At the same time, I started drawing some self-portraits. So during the day, I would set up the drawing stuff and just draw um, I started just also you know keeping kind of a notation my notebooks have always been a combination of writing and drawing mm-hmm. so I continued much more with that notation and it was a remarkable and fertile time oddly enough Um it yeah. had a lot of re- reverberating from my own childhood where I spent a lot of time alone, not communicating with very many people because Mm -hmm. I was in the backseat of a car with a very non-communicative mother and younger brothers and sisters. So I had a a rich imaginative life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I sort of monkishly came back to that through another forced isolation Mm -hmm. Right. During the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Right. And it so it had a lot of mirroring. And yet I was no longer that child. I was a crone now, uh, able to look back on my own life with a much greater perspective and was able to actually recognize and own what I think. What I really think because so much of my life, I've, I've been a child. I know that I've had a very long childhood. And so mm-hmm. I would think, well, one day I'll understand or I'll know what I think about that. So meanwhile, I'll draw what I see, I'll write what I, what I know and just dis- what I can describe. And mm-hmm. suddenly in the last few years, it came to me, no, you know, you are fully made. Yeah. You are a fully made person. What do you think? Who, do, who are you? What do you know? And in the end, you know, as any artist or writer, you know, that reflection, that hypersensitivity, as a poet friend of mine said, hey, we wouldn't make work if we weren't hypersensitive about the world. <laughs> that's like, true. that's hyper, right? Right? And yeah. poets, respond, poets, it's really poets and visual artists who respond most to my work, actually. And and I saw you know I see that that's true there is that hypersensitivity to the world and you know use it trust it yeah
0: it's like it's like your eye your eyes are kind of like a filmmaker's eyes almost it's like you're documenting all the time like capturing every single moment every feeling and then you transmute that onto writing into words. Yeah. So, what what do you feel about the English language and how it affects your work and how it affects your writing?
1: Well, I think that um, when I remember stories and dialogue, it's it was from early on in my childhood traveling. And so that Gertrude Stein quote is relevant because mm-hmm. from like the age of 8 to 14 we I traveled back and forth between the Midwest where the the spoken language is different as it is in every part of the country right. to San Diego where I learned Spanish in school where there was it was much more of a a melting pot community at school. And then Mm -hmm. shockingly, we moved to first Texas before Missouri. And in Texas, people said to me, they would look at me and say, you people, what are you Uh, people doing here? Right? It's uh, it's like the colloquial language, the spoken language. And I remember as a child saying to them, there's only me here. I'm not you people i'm not a group yep. i'm one person so i then also the language would be so different so in missouri where so mm. many people from kentucky uh, settled and and in the south of the u.s so my relatives there would say if they were going to say hey would you guys do this they didn't say hey would you guys do this they would say would you youans do that <laughs> Would you and okay. please do that? So the yeah. very way that people addressed one another mm-hmm. was different all over it is, all over the US. And mm-hmm. usually if people stay put, they only experience the way people communicate with one another in that one place. It's mm-hmm. also a, a socioeconomic thing, right? It's True. a class thing. So traveling back and forth, I became very aware that ev- people, everyone speaks differently, mm-hmm. you know, as a small child. So when I started writing the stories that I was writing, I remember saying, writing something one time where a person says, put that down. And my husband read it and he said, what does that even mean? He grew up in Playa del Rey in Los Angeles. Yeah. And he didn't even know what it meant for someone to say, put that down. Mm It's like not an instruction that he even heard. So from the beginning with my writing, people would read it and say, that's really colorful. Or yes. (laughs) So there would be kind of like, um, you know, Dorothy Allison's Bastard Out of Carolina. That was really one of the first really well-known memoirs and I greatly admire it that was written from, by someone of excellent amazing writer well educated but who grew up in the lower classes in America where language is spoken differently where people communicate with one another differently and you know there's like class and socio economic levels have a lot to do with Mm -hmm. what's able to be communicated in literature and in the arts. So I've been very conscious of that as I Mm -hmm. write that what language, spoken language, um, which can be very graphic and present and intense, Mm -hmm. that I use that. And I learned also about this from my mentor, John Retchie, the, mm-hmm. the writer, John Ritchie. And so he would say, you know, uh, make it immediate, just make it immediate. And he, he taught me a lot. He also talked about what he calls true fiction. That's what he writes. And he referred to it as it's the melding of discernible elements of autobiography and fiction right on the page. Mm-hmm. So some people, those are his stories, the like city of night, which you know, he's most famous for is um an autobiographical story, but it's written as a novel. And so, because, <laughs> wow. you know, we know this is true in visual work, right? Don't we? Mm-hmm. I yeah, mean, we do. when we paint a self-portrait, first of all, we're making a painting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It still objects. has, to, yes, it still has to obey all the rules of composition. Indeed. Or and we harmony. have to know. And harmony or we have to know them well enough to break them right yeah it's exactly. not it's not just hey
0: I accidentally
1: painted myself on this canvas
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> the intent the intention is the portrait
1: yes which is exactly. immediate
0: which is the present tense at that time
1: yes it's true yes it is and for me the same is true with writing that my poet friends one of my poet friends who's gotten in touch with me recently after reading my piece in Joyland said, wow, this writing is so close to your painting. Mm-hmm. The way you've written this, these stories is in as immediate, as graphic, as you said, movie, it's as graphic and visual as the paintings and drawings that she knew of me because when I lived yeah. in Oklahoma, I was drawing always and writing and painting, writing was the thing that was my secret thing I did, that I did not show anyone for a long, long time. And what I did was paint and draw, and I had shows everywhere in the Midwest. And then I'm, and I'm based on that, I moved to Los Angeles because I got accepted at Cal Arts. And then a whole other world opened up to me because of the the recognition in that school and in that perspective that all kinds of media can be used to do what you do and so all of a sudden I was paying much more attention to my own
0: writing and that made a difference for me Mm
1: -hmm.
0: so Yeah. yeah no there's so many things that are coming to mind as you're speaking about um your writing I'm I'm sort of Imagining you as kind of like a modern day Vivian Mayer, the photographer who like hid all of her photographs in the <laughs> world and then suddenly was like discovered in a box somewhere, you know. Amazing photographer, um, amazing observer of people, really, and capturing moments so candidly. And it's almost like I wouldn't say it's uh, There's something about artists, I guess, that capture a moment in the present tense without. Um, pretense you know without a need for recognition and I think with your writing it's it's not even just like a venting because you know you can read some words sometimes some writings from other people and it's just like a vent or it's like particularly like French writing it's kind of very sad and melancholic and you know Um, but I think yours is Um, so like, like capturing, like a photograph, capturing images. That's how I see it in my, in my head when I read your work. Um, and tell, tell me about traveling because it's almost like a, like a, I would say like the perverse version of the beat generation. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. Oh my God. On the road.
0: On um, the road, a, of Jack Carowak. Really,
1: yeah. Yes, and in fact, um, uh, a good, dear friend of mine calls me Baby K. Um, <laughs> After Baby, Baby car- Kerouac. Baby, Baby Kerouac, <laughs> and, right? Because yeah. um, I've written so much about, not all of it's published, but written so much about that time spent in the car where the rear view mirror the window of the car mm. frames the world mm-hmm. and really seeing the world through that frame and coming mm-hmm. to understand where you know like where what you're leaving behind um, anticipation of where you're going and not knowing, trying to really understand where you are and why, mm-hmm. all of those kinds of things. When you And those questions were not ever answered by my own mother because she was yeah. just in flight most of the time. And mm-hmm. so I was thinking about all those things. And that really formulated, and reading, I read quite a bit as a kid. Mm-hmm. And that really formulated my sense of, telling the story where does the story start where does it end it is like a road trip story is one where you're going on a journey like yeah. all the cliches of either like hey you're going on a journey you're the new kid in town mm-hmm. I've experienced all those
0: yeah those so you think like the new person in, in town do, did you feel like you had to put on a role Or like even go, okay, well, I can be this person now because no one knows who I actually really am and I'm still discovering who I am as I'm learning about the world and experiencing even traumatic events as well. You know, did you sort of like put on a mask and just go, well, I can just act and just be this person or that person? Did you ever use that imagination as well as a child growing up or even early adulthood? to mask pain as well as you were traveling oh my travel. goodness
1: yes i i i became an observer right and mm. so as many times when we are an observer a listener you know the the position of a writer so often uh, then we're not recognized ourselves and also because i learned early on and this is you know as you described it saying hey do you still Did you used to do that? What went through my mind is, yeah, I still do that. Yeah. Right? Like that, that I I do not, there are things that I do not assume. I would never assume in moving to a new school. By the way, like here's an example from kindergarten till I graduated from high school, I went to 17 different schools. My goodness me. That's right. That is a tall
0: feat. Yeah.
1: That is a tall feat. So that, that
0: was. An education my goodness me how did you i mean i i know we, <laughs> we have a short <laughs> amount of time but like how did you how did you deal with so much dislocation let's say and and so much sort of we talk about harmony and in, in artwork and in art in general you know and disharmony and um also the change in disharmony or the the harmony that was trying to evolve within you physic- physically as well, because your body also changes as you transition from childhood to adulthood too. Yes. Yes. That must've been really
1: difficult. It was challenging. And I mm. think that um, I did learn a lot. I learned a lot from all those kids who had been with one another, let's say, all of a sudden, I'm in a seventh grade class in Joplin, Missouri. Most of those kids had been in school together since they were in kindergarten. So I yeah. was the new the new person Chill in the town, the new yeah. kid in, on the block. And so I stood out and mm-hmm. I had to learn pretty clearly uh, and early how to communicate with people just based on who I am right now today and who I met and who I knew them to be in some ways what I think is it it's made me a much a flexible and a very open-minded person
0: I'm sure also a very compassionate person of course I mean I've obviously known you through the years so far and what I get from you is obviously like you met me that one time and you pierce through my soul you let you look through my eyeballs <laughs> through and into my soul and you ca- you saw something you captured something and you brought it out of me and of course we are all reflections of each other so you saw something within me that you may have experienced yourself and that is a skill <laughs> it's not very common and it's not very often that that does happen um but again, it's like talking, going back to your writing as well, it's so immediate and you, you're capturing moments, you're observing moments and you observe them, you sort of penetrate deep into the soul of things, I would say, as, as an observer of your, or a reader of your writing. Um, and it, again, it's kind of like that, that immediacy, I'm sure of like moving from one town to the next, from one place to the next, one environment to the next, this kind of, okay, well, I've just got a survival mode, I guess, you know, it's an immediate um, moment. So being in the present moment, quite honestly and quite genuinely, um, all the time.
1: Yes. And also, I learned to recognize people in school, as kids do, who I could communicate with and who could communicate with me. I learned to form those bonds quickly, Um, I learned to adapt. Um, and in some ways, in terms of making art, and I started, like, that was something that I did early on, like, drawing, painting, writing, I excelled at those things in any of the places that I went to school. So mm-hmm. that became a way that I could share who I was with other people. Mm-hmm. And um, and something that I learned to value for myself in a way to make sense of the world. So. That was something like I was always trying to make sense of the world. Like, what is this place about? And who are these people? Who am I in this situation? Like, Mm -hmm. I never, there was never much of a chance to take anything for granted, including belonging. Because it wasn't necessarily the case that anywhere I went, I felt as if I belonged. I felt like I was visiting. Like, I was a constant visitor. Like, now here in L.A., this is the longest I've ever yeah. lived in any place. Mm-hmm. The longest uh, house I've you know, I've ever lived in a single house, and so I can see the value of that security. And mm-hmm. I also know, I also know, ironically, that if it was necessary for me to give up where I live and move to another place, it was if it when it's time to do that, I do that because mm-hmm. the other thing is understanding what's really important. Right. And as you yeah. mentioned about like the materialistic is not important, the superficial is not important, whatever it is that keeps the vessel safely afloat. Like like that was a Flaubert quote that I love like mm-hmm. wisdom is jettisoning the least amount of cargo so that the vessel may stay safely afloat. And I latched onto that when I w- was reading Flaubert in my twenties and like, yes, that's true. Always. Like the other thing is I could never keep anything. Every time we moved, we yeah. left behind everything. So there was no like, Hey, my mom has kept all of my, my great grade yeah. cards or I have all these books or anything, nothing, nothing. And, and when I went into foster care, I had nothing. I had the jeans and sweatshirt I was wearing that you're right Mm. it's freeing I mean that's the positivity like we can we quite Buddhist in a
0: way almost
1: yes it's yes very elemental like to be very conscious of what I need and what I don't need and Mm -hmm. what I need is human connection with people such as you So I learned to seek that out. I learned to recognize and respond when that's there and hold it very dearly. Right. Mm -hmm. Because that's that those people, people always say, like, to find your people. Well, I do find my people.
0: And they find you. Yeah, (laughs) they find me.
1: (laughs) They have found me, too. And I'm so grateful for that.
0: And I'm so, I'm so glad that people are finding your work as well. And, you know, we spoke about travel and the new rerouting, which is the internet as well. Like this immediacy as well that we're talking about as a theme um, that people can find your work online, which will, we'll definitely um, put the links in as well in the description for the episode Thank you. As well, on Instagram as well. Definitely. Um, and you know, we're talking about um, immediacy again and observing. And I was thinking about Edward Hopper's paintings. Um, oh, yes. And you are talking about that too. Um, you've got some interesting tattoos as well. Would you mind sharing a little bit about your tattoos um, oh, and oh, sort of oh. the spiritual significance behind them? Or you don't have to, it's totally fine. if no, you No, I would to.
1: love to. The i the very first tattoo I ever got was in, I, in my 50s, my early 50s. And mm. my stepdaughter, Katie, um, who's got some beautiful tattoos, she went with me to the tattoo parlor because from the writing I was doing and the research I was doing, I came to see that if I looked at all my last names, I wanted the first letter of each one of my last names to be tattooed yes. on my shoulder, which it is. Yeah. And I was born with the last name Smith. Then yes. I was adopted by my stepfather and became Edwards. Then when yes. I got married for the first time uh, to my son's, uh, Eli's father, I became Embry. Mm-hmm. And then, when I met my partner Greg, I became Rice. And when I looked at them, it said Seer S E E R. And at the time that I saw that, oh I was writing about my great grandmother, um, Martha Sixkiller. And I was looking at the conjuring spells of the Cherokee tribe. And I was relating some, something I never grew up around. I never got to meet my great-grandmother. My mother never even got to meet her great-grandmother. And I was making those, collect, those connections for myself, right? And mm-hmm. seeing that and seeing my own connection um, to her and to them, um, ideally, because there are also, you know, things that are, uh more much more complicated than that right about being a member of that tribe and so I had um seer (laughs) s-e-e-r tattooed on my back I mean on my shoulder
0: it's it's like you can't even make it up really isn't it it's just (laughs) so you and you are a like such a literal seer but you're also you know uh A spiritual seer, you know, you see through people and you see things that people don't see. And you spoke about being a crone and obviously having elevated into that archetype now as well. We could talk about Carl Jung if we wanted to, but um, it's unbelievable how it always, they always find a way. Our great grandfathers, our grandparents, they always find a way if we hadn't had the opportunity to see them especially if they were um first nations especially if they had ritual or magic or some kind of element surrounding family as an important um as an important home base we're talking about home and belonging and i'm so amazed and i'm so i'm just so chuffed for you that's not even the right word but i'm just like so happy that you've you found that connection through the tattoo and that for me is what tattoos should be about it personally i haven't had a tattoo yet and i've obviously it will be for me obviously to me it would be uh, a a connection with my indigenous tribe um and for me it's sacred you know and it means something it's not again it's something that's deep so that's oh my god amazing okay um I know you have others
1: too, but... It's true. Uh. And at the same time, I was doing that research and finding out that so many of my maternal ancestors, several, had been marched on the Trail of Tears when they're... So they were, quote, driven to Oklahoma from Tennessee and Georgia, right? Fourth and fifth great-grandparents, this great-grandmother's mm. great-grandmother. and it was an odd thing that like at the same time I was driven so much as a child yes. yeah. and there, that dislocation in my maternal family mm-hmm. made such a, and had such an effect, like, like they talk about, and I read about, um, you know, epigenetic tra- traumas that happen mm-hmm. and they the mm-hmm. passed down nature of that. Yes, and I, yeah. I began to be, that much more aware of being kind of understanding and telling of what that story is and just the place that I, I am a small part of it. Mm-hmm. And that was an amazing uh, recognition for me and helped me start writing the she elegies where I'm writing the stories of my female ancestors.
0: Oh my God, it's so exciting. It's so excited! I'm, I'm just, I'm bursting with excitement. I love it. I love it because it's also something that I'm, you know, I massively resonate with because my maternal line were shamans, <laughs> you know, and it's amazing, like the self-discovery that I've found myself over the years, uh, speaking with my mother and speaking to my maternal ancestors in a spiritual context because i wasn't able to physically see them because they unfortunately uh, had a tragic um, ending so i wasn't able to see them in this lifetime but i see them in my dreams and i connect with them spiritually um but it's so exciting you know this again this discovery and um you spoke about the she you spoke you're speaking about she and the seer yes she and the seer the She and the seer and also um, maybe there's a sense of, again, obviously the the sort of gendered aspect of that, like what that means, what that should look like possibly as well.
1: You know, I think that since most of these she stories are historical stories, there there is a part at part of all their stories, the lack of choice they had about who they were because of Mm -hmm. their perceived gender uh, or -hmm. sexuality. And so that's what I'm writing about and no reflection on anything else. I've often thought about myself, the tomboy that I was, that if I had grown up, you know, I'm almost 70. If I were 15 now, I might say I am they. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because yeah. I understand very well. Me too. Um, feeling that I am have you know there's a multiplicity there.
0: Um. But, and yeah. But do you do you think it's do you think it's mostly artists that understand that though? Because I I totally get it <laughs> as well. Do you think it's mainly creatives that just have an immediate understanding of what what that means? Because especially if you are interested in philosophy and you're interested in archetypes as well, because we both have masculine and feminine energy within us and it's just a balance. And even in India, um, they spoke about a third gender, which was the hybrid of both. That was in the, the ancient, I think it was in the, the Vedas, I think, uh, scriptures.
1: Yes. It's not a new idea. Yeah. And so That's the sad part that um, it is a new idea to so many people. And I wish that it wasn't because, you know, we all need to be able to be who we are in the world. And those are the, you know, as I write about my ancestors, these women, I'm so conscious of trying to be as respectful, like I'll even say sometimes just out loud, I hope this does you justice. I hope oh, yeah. this does you justice because, you know, th- there are those stories that need to be heard,
0: everyone's story, everyone's Indeed. story. And um just sort of talking about writing um and even being a writer, do you feel like <laughs> you've peaked? <laughs> Successfully, like, do you feel like you've understood success uh, in your career, and you're you're in you're in that moment? Do you feel successful? Like, what does success mean to you? And I like to ask this question to my guests.
1: That's an interesting question. And a woman that I know recently um, on a Zoom call said, "I'm no longer just surviving; I'm thriving." yeah and what true. i thought to myself was for so much of my young life i was simply surviving and sometimes not very well mm-hmm. and what i what is success to me is realizing because it's a privilege to thrive in this world it's a privilege and so to me to recognize that i'm able to thrive now it's like mass hierarchy of needs Sometimes people are in circumstances where they cannot self-actualize. And mm. so I feel yeah. successful because I have overcome enough in my own life so that I, I am thriving. I can have self-actualized. And I, because of that, I am able to have a perspective that I can share with others in my work. And to me, that's successful, and that's separate and apart from whether or not it's recognized, whether or not money, property, or prestige comes from it. It's the simple ability in my lifetime to get to that place with my own, my own development, and I see that thriving as successful. And it's a great deal to do with self acceptance at the same time. And um, does that mean I wouldn't? I don't want my books to get published to have a greater readership. No, it doesn't mean that. I would thoroughly welcome that because it would mean that
0: um, I could share my work with more people. Indeed, get get more um, eyeballs, eyeballs yes. on your on your works, but also, have you thought about doing audiobooks as well, possibly? like reciting because oh. I came to one of your recite what was it a recital a reading yeah it a, was reading. a reading yeah it was a reading which was lovely in a beautiful garden in in LA um have you thought about doing like audiobooks or something where the non um seeing physically seeing people um you know are able to listen to your mm. words interesting yeah well maybe I've just was... given you a, a tip, that's a, tip. <laughs> that's a good idea that's a good idea <laughs> um what would, what would be your three tips or tricks to the high pay listeners particularly for those of them who are wanting to get into um expression in terms of painting or writing what would I
1: say to to mm-hmm. not wait for anything? I know too many people who've said, "Well, when I have time, when I have space, when I have a studio, when I have an <laughs> office." Kicking. And mm-hmm. so I'll say, "You know, I wrote the first book I wrote on the at a desk uh, on in the laundry room across from the washer dryer. Like, yeah, <laughs> like don't wait to have what you think you need to have before you start making what you're making." And I would say it's an interesting question. Thank you for asking. The second mm-hmm. thing I would say is to to what what my my friend and mentor John Ritchie said to me: um, "Don't give it away to anybody." And what he meant by that is don't let anybody read this until it's 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 what you want it to be. In other words, don't look for self for acceptance of your work from other people. Like. Come to an understanding of what you're doing and who you are on your own with it. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, that's and that that is seems to be true to me. And the other thing is just that simple thing of don't stop. Mm. Don't stop. Start where you are, wherever you can be clear about what you're doing and that it's it's the it's acceptable to you and it's what's meaningful to you don't rely on other people to give you you know uh, Mm -hmm. any verification of that and don't stop doing it and to me those three things mean you get to the place where you suddenly are doing something that knocks your own socks off
0: (laughs) yeah it's amazing how satisfying that is um when you see it manifest oh Um, it is the power the power of that um and Thank you for that. And three people, if you if you could narrow it down to three people who inspire you, or your writing, or your artwork, or hmm, the books that you pick up and and like to read, who would those people well, there, be?
1: Well, there are a lot of writers that inspire me. I think the writer Lydia Yuknevich is very inspiring. She has a new novel out called Thrust, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. John Retchie, my my mentor, who's like 90, almost 91, and working on another book inspires me very much. Um, And children really inspire me. If I hear a child's description of something, it is sometimes the truest description ever. The the most joy, the the most self-righteous anger, the most ability Mm -hmm. to like, actually see what's important and what's not important and i i think they're amazing like i'm filmmakers i i love Mm. amazing film i love amazing uh storytelling in that Mm -hmm. way that's inspiring to me like poets poets Mm -hmm. are the poet rilke is always inspiring to me i love his poetry and there are lots of contemporary writers I love quite a bit: Miriam Gerba, Wendy Ortiz, two writers who I admire tremendously, like really amazing writers. I could go on and on.
0: <laughs> I love it. Well, can you send me a list, please? So I have a, I, I have some books. I bought some books that I'm sort of going through. I'm trying to read a, a book a week because I'm dyslexic, so I, I'm quite slow at reading. Um, and I've just bought all these books and. The post the postman a few months ago or like last month was like I got some more books then. It's <laughs> like yeah, Good. I do. <laughs> um I but yeah, please do send list. me a list. Yeah, please I do. Will. Um and then just lastly, what would your word of wisdom be? You've already shared so much wisdom. Um, dear my... Crone, Crone archetype. <laughs>
1: ah, what would my one word of wisdom be?
0: Or phrase. As it were. Oh. Hmm.
1: I think it is be kind. That is true. Be
0: kind. That's true. Thank you. It's a rough
1: world out there.
0: It's so rough. It's so rough. And I you know, with the just going back a little bit with the children, I feel like I feel like it doesn't end there with the archetype of Crone. I think it comes back like the Wheel of Fortune and the tarot where we just go around and then learn some new lessons and we, we become innocent and young and, and um, curious all over again. I think it's just a cycle. Um, well, Chris, thank you so much. I've really thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Unfortunately, we have to end it here just because <laughs> of the limit of time. But I'm sure and I'm hoping that the high pay listeners have really enjoyed it um, as well, listening to your words of wisdom, your tips and your vast knowledge. And please do uh, find (laughs) chrisjrice.net online and you can find the links there with all of her um, publishings as well as your recent one, which was the
1: it's Joyland 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 magazine, Joyland magazine online you can
0: also thank you joyland magazine and you can also find chris on instagram as well um under what was your handle for instagram it's chris j rice chris j rice on instagram so thank you so much chris um thank I'm sending you a big hug and so much love and i'm hoping to see you um end of this year hopefully yay so, we'll see. <laughs> But yeah, anyway, that's it for now. Hype listeners, we'll catch you in the next episode with a new guest. See you next week. Bye for now.